Good morning and good evening. This is Sheila from Italy and this is my fourth podcast and I'm so excited because I have again my 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 big special special guest who is always my original in my original podcast and and he's back and I here introduce you Hugo Wilson. It is it is not just a joy but it is um one of my favorite things to is to do this with you but I think it's hilarious because we're now in different countries we've got children I've got gray hair you look quite well <laughs> and um you know 10 years in still rocking and um <laughs> still rocking and nice still music we, we still, yeah and we still send each other music every now and again but it's very nice to do a sort of catch up like this best catch up i think and it's uh, catch up and um and i'm i'm super excited because hugo is uh, the biggest uh, music connoisseur my music soulmate for sure from uh, from england where are you exactly now right now i'm in london um which is uh rare because i'm very spoiled and old but we normally go out of london for the weekend and um due to uh various things mostly about 95 um children's birthday parties this weekend we've stayed here <laughs> ah, i mean yeah you're you're in that you're in that kind of role but um yeah, exactly see baba i'm 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 glad i'm doing it with an english person because you guys uh, definitely know about music more than i think anybody else anybody else i i hope as a country we continue to lead I think we certainly did. I think 60s, 70s, 80s we were really strong. The strongest. Um uh, yeah, and I think it's interesting because there'll be some music which we'll talk about about you know, we've spoken about it before, but the way the blues was sold back to the Americans by the English. You know, it's a really interesting concept that like the English were the people who were really into black blues musicians which like Americans hadn't heard of. and then suddenly the rolling stones plays a song and the americans rediscover muddy waters it's just very weird it takes people from like surbiton <laughs> or croydon to sort of like <laughs> rediscover this but there's always this kind of weird englishness to those covers which i love so that van morrison one i sent you the you know them yes uh you know is one of my favorite tracks in the world because it's like super like english somehow rather than you know it's the timing is not relaxed and kind of like a really excellent blues musician it's like a kind of slightly uptight northern irish guy you know and so it's got this kind of aggression rather than a a flow and and for me probably because it's my blood in a way you know i like that aggression Yeah fa- fair enough but here you yeah. you 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 gave us uh, our first song so hugo Our first songs of of your selection which I I completely agree I love him Van Morrison is uh, definitely one of a kind and that song is uh, is legendary I mean that's why it was in one of your selections Yeah big time and it's it's a really great song because it's it really highlights exactly what exactly what I was just talking about it was written by I can't remember he was called something like Bob Smith or something but like a you know a blues guy a black guy and you know I hadn't heard of that the first time I heard this song was in 
like a movie called Almost Famous. I love that which movie. Which is a brilliant movie, which I'm sure you love. Yeah. And then, you know, I lived with an American in, in, um, in Italy for a long time, and he introduced me to The Grateful Dead, which then got me back into, like, the Allman Brothers band who had actually made that song. And, you know, these things always go full circle, I think. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So let's. Uh, I will. Uh, I will. I will put the song so our listeners will uh, will enjoy it as much as we do. Here is them from Ma- Van Morrison. introductory song I think uh, it's a strong start definitely a strong uh, strong start it's um, I love that song and funnily enough I, I've been listening in the studio uh, as you know I'm an artist and I've been listening to these these this playlist quite a lot this week actually because I knew we were doing we were doing this and I just wanted to think about the songs a bit and why I like them and where I'd heard them and you know i mean the trouble is is as as i'm sure you find as well is that you know i employ people i i seem to be making people my children <laughs> you know it's, you end up having to like look after them and deal with them and shit so i mean i have you know the it's a real pleasure to talk with you about music and think about it in the way that i have done this week and now so thank you no thank you also because i saw that uh, you you definitely have a a strong passion for blues which i do too actually it, i mean in a way it's the basis of all 
music really i mean you know i mean i think there are there are kind of different sort of schools of thought as to you know where i mean obviously through gospel and and you know through diaspora of of african people and slavery and you know that's where it all kind of comes from and then there's this thing slant mm. kind of before that where they think it may uh, have you heard a lot of desert blues like ali farkator and people like that no. um you know there's this whole theory that actually that of course that's right but actually the blues was in fact a lot earlier than just people kind of working on plantations and and having songs which then moved into the church which then moved out into popular music but desert blues is really interesting and kind of comes from from places like mali and and you know i don't know i don't know but it's in the end it's the origin of all the music that you know idiot white people dance to yeah um but it you know it came through through I suppose trying to keep yourself buoyed up through incredible hardship and awful persecution you know and that's I don't know maybe that's 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 what it is I think Yeah I completely agree actually is the when I started uh, learning the d- guitar only 6 years ago the first thing I wanted to learn was blues And uh, I think it's it's sorry No no it's 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 a, I mean, it's a 360 kind of uh, type of music, blues. And I think it's, it's, in the end, it's like, it's really, you can take it anywhere. And there's, you know, there's house music, there's trance music, which has its origins in 12 bar blues. And, and it's, you know, it resonates with everyone, I think. I completely in, agree. I completely, so... I saw that uh, another selection, since we are in the blues kind of world, is uh, the, the one and only Muddy Waters. Muddy Waters. I love, that, I love that we have him, because in a way, we were going to choose Please Don't Go by Muddy Waters to sort of link up with Van Morrison. But actually, I think, in a way, Manish Boy is, is probably one of my favorite tracks. And it's, it's, you know, people will know it even if they don't know it. And it's... You know it's it's a kind of ridiculously male song but actually um you know when i'm feeling a bit um i'm trying not to use the word floppy but i what i mean is is in the sense of um, <laughs> with, with not very much blue, energy when you're feeling blue <laughs> ah, exactly blue there we go um i um uh you know this is a song which you know gives me whatever male energy i feel i need at the time And I think it's, um, you know, it's just, it's a brilliant kind of, uh, it's, a, it's arrogant, it's, it's aggressive, it's, it's, it's get up and go, and I love, I love it. I couldn't agree more. So here, we're just going to play it so, so people will understand, but put the volume very up, and I hope you have a good sound system, which is essential, but we're going to come up to this. Uh, here is Muddy Waters' Manish Boy. Oh yeah Oh yeah Everything gonna be all right this morning Now when I was a young boy At the age of five My mother said to be The greatest man alive 
But now I'm a man I made 21 I want you to believe me, honey We're having lots of fun I'm a man yeah! I spell him H-I N That rubber than Maine Why? That spell managed boy. But a man, I'm a full grown man. I'm a man, I'm a rolling stone. I'm a man, I'm a hoochie coochie man. Sitting on the outside, just me, my mate. I made the move, come up two hours late. Wasn't that a man? I spell him H I N. That rubber than man. No B Oh child Why That's spell managed boy I'm a man I'm a full grown man I'm a man I'm a rolling stone I'm a man Okay, uh, blues uh, definitely, definitely the best. Uh, but here, Hugo, we 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 are moving on to to Canada. I heard <laughs> from, from your selection, Canadian and songwriter Patrick Watson, who I know almost nothing about, and I, um, you know, I in a way because we haven't done this for ten years, I've sent you a very like sort of snapshot of the things that kind of I've been listening to or, or seem to always be on repeat, you know, since we last did this. And this was a song which was on like a really cheesy Christmas advert in England, you know, with like children walking down the path in the snow and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I remember my I got goosebumps, not just on my arms, but up the back of my neck when I heard this song. And, and I was like, what is this? This is extraordinary. And you know, even though I was kind of annoyed about um, the advert selling me Marks and Spencer's <laughs> Christmas pudding or whatever it was, <laughs> um, I I just thought this is great. You know, that's what it is. You know, that's where music is is the most extraordinary thing. And I, I you know, I'm always it's the only time I'm ever jealous is of is of musicians. You know, like what I do, I make paintings and sculptures and photographs and and all sorts of things. But you know, I will never, I don't think, be able to do what a song like this can do to me with a work of mine. It, it's just a different thing, but it's, um, it's, uh, I, it's a kind of very long story short. I, I don't um, like flying at all. And I had never have. 
and I have to fly more than I would like. And I've also been in recovery for a very long time. As you know, I don't drink and I don't take drugs and da da da. Yeah, I know. And How many years now? <laughs> and 15, which is sort of mad. Huzzah. Um, but I, huzzah. <laughs> <laughs> but as I sort of started to have to travel a bit more to, to show and, and work, particularly to America, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't shake this fear of flying. And so, you know, as a responsible recovering addict, the last thing I want to do is take drugs. But I, you know, I spoke to my sponsor and I spoke to my therapist and I spoke to my doctor and I said, guys, look, I just, I can't arrive in Los Angeles and take four days out because I'm so traumatized by the flight. <laughs> you know, like, and so we kind of ag agreed and, you know, listen, if anybody in recovery is listening to this, I don't necessarily condone this. This is just what I do, but I do take things to get on the plane. And because I don't take drugs, I mean, my poor wife sort of looks at me 20 minutes into the flight and just goes, you're completely <laughs> fucked, aren't you? <laughs> and I'm just like, whoop. <laughs> and, what I, what? and what I do is I listen to music and it's it's heaven. And, you know, I'm literally laughing and crying and because, you know, I don't, I just don't, I don't mess with my systems very much. And so suddenly I've sort of taken tranquilizers to, to fly and I'm sort of weeping to this song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I keep saying to Maria and stuff, or my children who think it's absurd. Um, but I mean, that's this that... song for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. This song? I put on every time I have that because I sort of, it makes me feel like I'm kind of coming home. I don't know, like the Marks and Spencer's advert. I'm a cheese ball. No, you're not a cheese no, ball actually a... at all because uh, when you sent me the playlist, I, I made a, a few researches. And for the record, since you saw it in an English advert, again, I want to praise the English because, of course, uh, English TV for me is the best. This is why I installed it in Italy as well. Even the adverts are amazing because they have, most of them have incredible soundtracks. I couldn't agree more. And actually, it's the first time when, when an advert comes in England, I'm actually quite happy because I know there's a great song behind it. And since I'm in Italy, I always think I'm ahead of time because I discovered this song. And uh, about your scare of flying, I'm with you. Uh, oh. I'm scared of flying, but I'm not scared of flying itself. I'm scared of flying that the plane crashes into the sea. I survive and the shark eats me. So <laughs> <laughs> you are not alone. You're not alone. And Yours is more specific, I think. <laughs> definitely specific. And <laughs> Patrick Watson uh, actually co-wrote and performed uh, on the song. I don't know, but you must know definitely which is also one of my favorite bands, is the Cinematic Orchestra. Ah, I actually didn't know that. You've obviously done more research than me on this. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's it, the Cinematic Orchestra did also one of my favorite songs, Same Mood, uh, Same Mood is called Home, the song, which is great. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, okay, let's, let, let's put our listeners uh, away from, from, the, from, from the fear of flying with, with this amazing <laughs> grand song. Here is uh, Patrick Watson Lighthouse.
Well, even the ending is majestic, Hugo, of Patrick Watson. <laughs> a great artist, great artist. I love... Um, there's another artist, I think, who could have been on this list called Mika P. Henson. Oh, I think my God. Actually, it's if... amazing. Um, the original of our listeners, uh, the last podcast we did uh, seven years ago is Mika P. Hinson, and you introduced me to him, and he is just uh, wow. Yeah, I completely agree. Same, he same kind of vibe. Well, it has, what I love is this, and in a way, it'll lead us neatly in to our next song. Um, you know, I like it when um, musicians really understand what an orchestra can bring to their song. Because, I mean, you know, you see it being tried and, you know, crazy amounts of production being thrown at a, a music that doesn't require a hundred people sitting around it. It just ends up being incredibly annoying, you know, with some idiot leaping around in front of really, really good musicians. <laughs> and it's just like, it just kind of feels insulting to everyone. Um, but, you know, every now and again, you get these you know, contemporary musicians who really understand arrangement and really understand, um, you know, how to bring, I suppose, the weight and depth that like a hundred instruments can bring, right? And it's like, it's very exciting when it works. And I think, as you say, the second half of Patrick Watson's song is exactly that. But this next song, which, you know, you introduced me to Milky Chance and, um, and whilst I don't love all of it, I, I like a lot of it. And, you know, on one of my kind of free sort of mornings or whatever, I, I was just going through some of the music I had and and, um, and I came across this. And is it with the Berlin Philharmonic or the Munich Philharmonic? The Berlin. I, I think it's the Berlin Philharmonic. And so basically it's, it's down by the river with the Berlin Philharmonic and it, and it, my God, it works. And there's that wonderful break where you can hear all the, the sort of bass string sections, boom, 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 boom. And it's just, it's mind boggling. I mean, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it, let alone listening to it. And, um, and if you watch the YouTube video of it, it has a camera on the conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic, who's just adoring it. And actually, I don't know what Mr. Milky Chance's name is. Um, Mr. Chance. Um, is, is um, you know, and you can see he's got real humility playing with these people and, and you can see everyone is enjoying the experience and it's, it's really worth watching actually. Yeah, Milky Chance, like, yeah, they are, they are, they are incredible. Like they haven't, they actually, uh, I checked it out. There's a new album who came out in this year. Okay, amazing. I'll check it out. I mean, to be honest, I, I'm so lazy at looking at music now that like if something comes, you know, comes into my life, then I'll, I'll kind of fall down a Google hole for a couple of a couple of hours. But no, no, I, that, I wish that's, I uh, that's what this podcast is for as well. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> We are here exactly. for to help all our listeners to who are, don't have time to listen because they have uh, busy lives. This podcast is exactly for that. And and about music the, on the run. About the orchestra, I couldn't agree more. And actually, not long ago, I watched the movie of the Beach Boy of Brian Wilson, and uh, and I think he 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 thinks exactly what you said about all these tunes and all the all the orchestra. He was like a genius. Mm -mm. But you do have to be able to think like that. I mean, it's you know, it's a skill. Are... Yeah. <laughs> 
I couldn't. And not everyone can. I mean. No, no. But uh, I hope uh, everybody um, has a good sound system because otherwise it really wouldn't make sense. So here, uh, Hugh and me will introduce you to this incredible, incredible version of Milky Chance down by the river. Down by the river, and I was stoned by your dreams. And you tell myself I'm living in the lover's place. I was talking about it, full of tears and unwise. The things I would know when we fade our light. And you know, even when we walked out. And I felt like we could throw away the fountains of a price. I don't know, too, it's been a hard season, yeah. Let's tell them out the window that's drop their selfish down.
Well, really, thank you because uh, I really didn't know this version of, uh, of Milky Chance and you really give me a present. Really give me. Thank you, Hugo, for this. Sweet you, thank you. Well, I, I just think, well, you introduced me to the, to, to the, I mean, it's funny because a lot of these things, when you first hear them, particularly like Milky Chance, is, is in a way kind of revolutionary. You really don't, you know, I hadn't really heard music like that before. You know, it has somehow, it has a, I, I suspect there's something to do with honesty of intention and making, you know, like all good paintings, all good things. You can kind of see when, you know, originality doesn't come out of aiming at originality. Originality comes out of being, I think, a filter for your time, right? And I know that sounds like the biggest cheesy cliche, but like, you know, you can spend 20 years making work and, and in a way you can be in your wrong time and it doesn't work. And suddenly things come around and, and get behind what it is you're doing. And, and, and I, you know, I don't know, I think it, Milky Chance for me was that because I'd heard lots of kind of, you know, there was a lot of like electro pop suddenly coming into the indie scene and blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't really that into it. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so I, yeah, uh, anyway, it's good. But anyway, this song, which I think we should play now, is um, is by the Stone Roses. And there's a really good documentary which has just come out called Made of Stone um, about the band getting back together. And, Amazing. Um, where on Netflix? Ian Brown. On, where is it? I can't remember where I saw it, but it's very, very good because they are, you know, they, it's a really extraordinary story. And they're from Manchester in like the mid 90s. And they became, it was like a huge sensation. I mean, they really became big, but astonishingly quickly. And they played no game. They didn't have a PR company. You know, they just, it was just the music, which really seemed to resonate with, I think, the people of Manchester to begin with and then really permeated out fast but i mean much faster than other bands of that time you know they were kind of precursors to oasis and Britpop and all you know they were before that yes and it's interesting my my cousin introduced them to me and my cousin is sort of my hero and so it's a wonderful song because he kind it always you know i remember when i was about nine hearing the stone roses come out of his room and just thinking i mean it's the you know the most amazing thing i'd ever heard um and i don't love all of it but I do love this one a lot. And I just think it's, um, it's, it's extraordinary, but it's very funny because they're a very chaotic band. And, and I think the drummer, they always say is one of the great drummers of rock and roll. And you don't necessarily hear it, but, but actually if you watch the documentary, you realize he's a really extraordinary guy. And the front man is just a sort of perfect rock and roll front man who I think is, I, I suspect, pisses a lot of people off around him. But, you know. <laughs> well, that's what the rock band uh, is all about. Ah, exactly. It's, it's exactly. Um, but the drummer is the key, is the guy to watch, I always think. Not always, but in this case, I think he's extraordinary. Well, um, perfect uh, Sunday movie. Tonight, I will definitely smash it. So here I introduce you. Hugo introduces us to Made of Stone of the Stone Roses.
you can still see them in concerts, can't you? No? Or made of the... Stone Roses? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> they've probably all fallen out again, I yeah. should think. Well, <laughs> I don't God know. damn it. <laughs> There was a moment you could, and and this and this documentary was was about them getting back together, and it's, you know, it's fascinating because you don't, one doesn't really think about probably how difficult it is to be in a band, particularly for a really long time. I think it really is difficult, and I think particularly if you get together really young, and you know, the first five years is just this incredible party, and then it's you know, not everybody's able to. You know, we know people who haven't pulled out of their youth and it's gone badly wrong. You know, it's quite difficult to become an adult. And if if you, I mean, I'm not sure I've done it, but I'm certainly kind of trying, you know what I mean? But, you know, that's taken work and consideration. And I think if you're doing it on a tour bus with people throwing pants and drugs at you, then, you know, it's, it's even harder to grow up. And so I think, you know, I think one doesn't realize, you know, that all these bands who are playing at like 50 and 60 have had to really work at that. And yeah. and it's kind of, I have a new respect for like bands which are seemingly still happy together and, and you know, working it out because, I mean, it's not just drugs and rock and roll and ego, you know, like lots of people just, there's a really good documentary on Cypress Hill. I don't know if you remember Cypress Hill, the, yes. the, the hip-hop group from Midnight, which I adore. I adore, um, yeah, you know, definitely. Being from, the, being from the bad lands of southwest London, I, um, you know, it really spoke to me. <laughs> Downtown yeah. LA. Well, it? I could agree more. Um, um, but, there's, but Cypress Hill is really interesting because, like, the, the, the documentary is very interesting because one of them just at one point just leaves and he's like, I don't, I don't like doing this. I don't want to be in a band. And it's kind of extraordinary. Well, he but was actually, a... that leads us neatly. Ooh. Ooh. Sorry, you say? To J.J. Kale. <laughs> <laughs> to, I mean, LA is, an, LA is a place I've gone to a lot more than I, than I ever thought I would. And I think through being sort of working with and now being represented by the same LA gallery, which has not only grown, but also moved several times, I've actually experienced quite a lot of it because, you know, there was a moment where they were in the gallery was in Culver City. There was a moment where they were in really quite kind of hardcore downtown where, you know, I wasn't that comfortable walking around when they first moved there. And... Um, it's something that's kind of grown on me. I, I've had weird experiences and, and, and spent, you know, in a way in America far longer in LA than I have done anywhere else. And it's so alien. It's so alien. And, and you know, I had this extraordinary um, thing where I, I had a very bad collapsed lung and I had to take the train and the boat back across America to get back to England. What, and I the took boat? the train across... Yeah, I had to take the boat from Brooklyn, but because I, I couldn't fly, I had I had a um, a very bad collapsed lung, and I took the train from L.A. to New York, and you know you don't realize how big the desert is in America. I mean, it's enormous. It's two days and two nights on a train. Wow. You know, it's sort of mind-boggling. It doesn't stop. You can't believe it. it. The desert goes from the west coast and sort of stops, kind of not that much before Chicago. You know what I mean? Like it's That's a insane. good half of the country. 
Well, I definitely never think about it actually now. That well, no, nor, nor had I, other than the fact that I had to sit and watch the entire thing <laughs> on a train. Oh my! Um, and then the boat. How long was the? How long was that ride? Boat was boat was seven days, and yeah. it was the train was one of the great experiences of my life. I met really interesting people, and I understood how Trump got elected. You know, because it's very easy for us to sit in Europe and say, you know, they're all mad and they're all psycho. You know, they're not. They were all people who've been missold the American dream for the fifth time. And then Trump did exactly what all presidents have already done is then repackaged it and resold it. Yes. And it also hasn't come through. But, you know, these were people who who were, you know, who in a way they were kind of like middle class people who... You know, they made, I don't know what they made, but they made like a good living. And, and suddenly, like, that meant their grandmother died because there was no health insurance. Yeah. You know, these people were pissed off. And it was very, very interesting to sit with them completely out of context because, you know, nobody knew who I was. You know, when you're traveling for contemporary art in a gallery, you know, you're dealing with usually rich people. And, you know, everybody sort of knows roughly you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. nobody knew what I was or who I was. I didn't care. I mean, it's not that I'm famous or anything, but you know, I didn't really know who they were. And we just were on a train for three days, and it was it was really extraordinary. It's extraordinary, and because I I can imagine with these people, which know nothing about you, and vice versa, that the most intimate conversation come out. Totally, because none of us had anything to lose. Yeah, exactly. And Right, like it, it didn't matter, and and it was very, 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 very liberating, exactly. But uh, so this is, um, so this was your train ride. What was it connected to the next song you wanted to to introduce us? Yeah, well, in a way, because you know I've listened to music, which is kind of to do with traveling across America, and you know there's all the sort of old Hank Williams songs about hobos and stuff, and obviously you know I'm not a hobo and not from the 1920s or 40s um but but i uh you know i've always loved it and it was just very very odd to be on this you know three day and three night train journey across the whole of america and this song kind of kept coming into my head you know i watched two sunsets come across the desert from a train where you couldn't see anything else and i was quite strung out because you know i'd had this really serious collapsed lung and you know, it, it was quite difficult to get home. And it was... It must have been you know, scary think, as well. I mean, it was scary to the point that, that I'd had I'd had this before and it, I've now had an operation to fix it, um, which went badly wrong, actually. So I now have one and a half lungs. Um, oh, we're not recording. Oh, no, but you are on your thing. Yeah. No, we okay, are recording. Cool. Um, okay, cool, cool. Um, I now have one and a half lungs, which is um, uh, fine, <laughs> adequate, I would say. Um, and I'm very lucky that it's um, it hasn't. Um, my breath is fine, and but my muscles, because the operation was a bit of a emergency, and yeah. it went wrong during the operation. So that's why I was doing yoga this morning. I mean, I sort of loathe everything to do with yoga, um, but I have to do it because my muscles are all all over the place because they had to go in through the back of my ribs very quickly. And so everything got, you know, normally when you do an operation, you sort of put everything back in the right place. They certainly didn't in my case. So I've got <laughs> quite bad chopped nerves and some muscles don't work anymore. And, you know, it's, it, I mean, like, listen, life could be worse. 40 yeah, years yeah, ago, but, I'd be dead. Uh, so. 
Yeah, yeah. but okay, so but um, lucky in the unluckiness. Uh, but it, it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> but I think what what I what I saw and did was a real adventure. You know, in the in the old um, idea of an adventure. You know, you I was it, I had uh, some adversity. Do you feel it? This experience influenced your paintings. I'm not sure if it influenced my paintings directly, but it certainly influenced my attitude. Um, towards life, I became much less fearful. I became much more, in a way, kind of joyful about humanity because I met. I know that sounds really cheesy, but I, I had to find connection with people in a way I hadn't done for a very long time. And you know, it's a long time. It was three and a half weeks to get home, and it's a long time to have to. To have to sort of be by yourself and to have to be under your own steam, and you know, I mean, I'm in a way I was used to it, and it was quite frightening actually because it was very like being at boarding school early. You just sort of got your rhythms going, and you know, I can see why there are lots of books written about English men who go to boarding school being psychopaths because you sort of <laughs> shut down your emo- because you sort of shut down your emotions a bit and just sort of say, right, well, you know, I've got to get through this, but. Yeah. There was a lot of really lovely surprises. Like there was a one family which had a an autistic daughter who wanted to be an artist, and so you know I did some drawing with her, and I met you know I just sort of I mean you know I met Amish people who are um, astonishingly unfriendly actually, <laughs> um, <laughs> and and astonishingly unaware of where their religion came from. Actually, I kept asking you because I think it was from Switzerland or something to begin with. It was very Protestant, um, very Presbyterian. I don't know. I'm saying words that it may or may not be. Um, and you know, they had no idea. And you would have thought that if you were sitting on a train in America in a hat from the 16th century, that you might question why. And maybe not. Maybe they're happier for not questioning why. Yeah. I don't know. But you know, you you. Yeah, I mean, it was very, very interesting, is my point. But what what it was, which I, I look back on it as, is it was a genuine adventure in the sense that I I had one goal, which was to get home. And I was in bad shape and I was in pain and it was difficult. And ultimately, it was a really deeply satisfactory thing was to make it home. Yeah. And yes, okay, I probably wasn't in any imminent danger of losing my life. Well, apart from the beginning bit, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I'd left Sporty the hospital stuff. in LA. Yeah. And you know, my 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 cousin, who's a doctor, had um had texted me, and it's the first time in a very long time I'd really cried in public, where I I hadn't understood that I couldn't fly, and so he said, "Well, you're going to have to spend three months in LA," and I just got this on a text. And I, um, I basically burst into tears in the hotel lobby. Yeah. Um, I'd been up for two nights, one flight, one in hospital, and I didn't want to stay in LA for three months. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. Um, there was this lovely man who I hope he might listen to this one day called Chris Garcia, who I will never forget. Who um, I did this sort of English thing of slapping myself around the chops and going, right, I'm going to hire a very fast <laughs> car and drive to New York. You know, where does one hire a fast car? <laughs> and <laughs> Chris Garcia was terribly funny. And he said, looked at me and he said, um, don't do that. He said, there's two reasons. One, America's enormous. And two, you'll almost certainly get raped. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> and, uh, 
he then gave me he then said listen give me your credit card and he just sort of linked up all the trains and stuff but this song basically if there's ever a song that makes me think of sort of rolling across america in the old school way it's this and um i don't know why it does but it just has the sort of noise that the desert seems to make at you wow and um Wow. And I, yeah, I don't regret this journey at all. I don't want to do it again, but, <laughs> but I don't regret that it happened. <laughs> well, you did it. Not many people say they did something like this. So what a great way. Yeah, particularly of... completely by mistake. <laughs> yeah, but also what a great way to introduce a song. I mean, I think our listeners will definitely now really, really listen to the song. I hope so. <laughs> well, so here we introduce you to JJK Downtown LA. I definitely took the song all in, uh, also thanks to your story. And, um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm curious about, uh, about the, the next introduction uh, you want to give the next, uh, the next song. It's, it's such a weird... And so Warren Zevon is a really interesting singer. And in a way, I really like him because he... Um, he in a way, he's a real anti-hero. You know, things never quite work for him. He was a really bad alcoholic. Um, he was quite kind of... I suspect probably if I was going to be an armchair psychologist, which I spent most of my life being <laughs> successfully, I <I'm>, um, <laughs> he, um, he, um, 
he was important in that genre of music and he wrote a wonderful and I, I and your friend and mine George introduced him to me when I was living down in the south of Spain and I think a mutual friend of ours I think a guy called Henry Morton Jack actually introduced it to George and it's a sort of CD or, a, or an album which has stayed with me for ever since then so like 15 years even 16 years wow and I, yeah and I was living in this and I think you know like all of us know there are certain songs and certain moments of your life where soundtracks arrive and they become very important and they stay there interestingly um and there was a, a song on it called desperados under the eaves and um I was really in quite bad shape drinking and, and mentally and stuff when I was down there and you know I felt very kind of last chance saloony um and I was very aware that when I got back from that from Spain that I was going to have to sort of throw a hand grenade into everything and I did and I got sober and did a master's degree and you know tried to be an adult and whatever <laughs> and you know and I'm pleased I did all of that but but you know I definitely you know being a you know being addicted to to things is not fun and you get very low but that funny period in the south of Spain, sort of just before my relationship with with a girl you know and and various things, you know, I sort of knew it was all coming to an end. Yes. And there was a sort of slightly weird beauty to it. Like you were, um, you were, as if you're, you're, you know, you're gonna be heartbroken. And uh, yeah. right, I I sort of knew, I sort of knew it was the end of of whatever I'd somehow got myself into yeah your love um, affair with <laughs> well with with nessie and with uh, we'd have to say that <laughs> yeah you know, yeah, uh, with, yeah you know but also, but also you know i mean she, we're still very good friends it's not you know it's not sort of a problem but you know i i lived as though God, this sounds very sort of grim, but no not even grim but i you know i'd lived the life of a young person who didn't understand himself at all and and there was f so much fun in it and so much fear in it and so much everything was very extreme you know what i mean for me anyway i, I mean i'm sure the people around me just thought it was fucking boring <laughs> i um you know I, I felt very like on the edge a lot of the time and um and this album is is from that and uh, the reason i chose this song specifically is uh, i think most simply i just love the tune but like a lot of these songs and albums that you revisit, which, you know, mean and have meant a lot to you at different points, the sort of meaning kind of changes a bit. And I did a bit of reading around this album and this song particularly was extraordinary. And it's called Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. And it's basically about mercenaries in um, uh, um, Biafra, which I think is in, in, in Africa somewhere. Um, I can't remember the country's name now. Um, where was it? I can't remember. Anyway, it gets mentioned in it. And and so weirdly, like, uh, you know, as, as you get older, you begin to understand how dangerous Western powers have been geopolitically. And I don't mean, you know, I'm not coming from the position of sort of a communist or a terrorist. But what I mean is, is that just how many proxy wars have happened in our lifetime. And 
you know, for better or for worse, I'm sure there are some who could argue that they needed to happen and, and others who would tell you it was the worst thing on earth. I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle, probably, because it usually is. But it's, um, you know, I had no real idea that, you know, the CIA was backing this amount of stuff and Britain was doing the same. And, da, da, da. and this song is all about a guy from Norway who goes across to Africa to fight and the CIA decide that he should be taken out. And so is just shot. And, you know, I even know people who are like the children of people who made huge amounts of money doing stuff like that. And it's, you know, this is not a kind world, basically. And yeah. and I think this song, sung by clearly a depressed alcoholic man about this, and, and he'd been, sorry, the, the link to this is that he, Warren Zevon had also gone to live in the south of Spain and had okay. sort of descended quite badly into alcoholism there and had met somebody who was a part of, I think, the mercenary group who put this thing together. And and I sort of rather loved that Warren's even in, in the south of Spain, clearly incredibly depressed, had just decided to write a song about this story he'd been told. And it I don't know, it just sort of feels feels sort of somewhere right. Okay, and it's, well, um, I mean, not the event, but the song. It's a beautiful song, I think. Wow, I'm I'm excited. I'm, I'm sure everybody is. Like it's a very very good introduction. Thank you for this. So and thank you for the Warren Zevon. You know me and with my super accent, I would said Warren Zevon. <laughs> Warren Zevon. Zevon, you know. Zevon. <laughs> Zevon. Warren. Le Warren. Warren Zevon. Warren Zevon. Warren Zevon. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Hugo. Warren Zevon. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Roland was a warrior from the land of the midnight sun with a Thompson gun for hire. Fighting to be done The deal was made in Denmark On a dark and stormy day So he set out for Biafra To join the bloody fray Through 66 and 7 They fought the Congo War With their fingers on their triggers Knee deep in gore And nights they battled the band to to their knees They killed to earn their living and to help out the Congolese Roland the Thompson Gunner Roland the Thompson Gunner His comrades fought beside him Van Owen and the rest But of all the Thompson Gunners Roland was the best So the CIA decided They wanted Roland dead That son of a bitch Van Owen Blew off Roland's head Body stalking through the night in the muzzle flash of Roland's Thompson gun. 
the muzzle flash of Roland's Thompson gun. the continent for the man who done him in he found him in Mombasa in a ballroom drinking gin Roland aimed his Thompson gun he didn't say a word but he blew out Owen's body from there to Johannesburg Roland the headless Thompson gunner Ten years later, but it still keeps up the fight In Ireland, in Lebanon, in Palestine, in Berkeley Thank you, thank you. I, I, again, I will say it more and more how I hope everybody has got a good sound system, which is a 90%, no, let's say 100% like uh, way to listen to songs because if you have a shit soundtrack, it's just pointless. Just don't even turn up the music. Um, but having said that, is uh, the, uh, you were talking about a podcast, which uh, I actually also followed and it also gave me a little bit of point because it's an English podcast, no? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really famous thing called Desert Island Discs, which is basically um, they get very famous or, or interesting or worthy people to choose. I think it's five of their five. favorite songs. Yes, five of the songs. The they only would... song. They would bring you on mean? a desert island, no? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, anyways, you know it more than I do. You definitely know it more than I do. But uh, I'm jealous because that podcast, why didn't I have that idea before? Well, you kind of did because I think I remember telling you about it and you didn't really, you didn't know it. So you, you know, you came up with it of your own accord with with Sheila's music podcast that, that subtly named well, you're the only famous, the uh, famous person. I, 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 you're my special famous person. Also, back in the days, you were my only famous one. I, I'm, first of all, not famous at all. And actually, if you want me to introduce you to some actual famous people, maybe we can try and do that. Not that I really know any. But <laughs> it's, um, no, the trouble with Desert Island Discs is um, they, don't, they don't ask you on for your skill of choosing music which is very annoying because I think that that's something that you and I could do very well on it. Um, you have to have done really a lot in your life, like win a Nobel Peace Prize or something like that. Ah, um, okay, okay. Anyway, I live, I live in hope of being asked to go on it. Oh my God, if, if you do, I will just, uh, you know, be your, like bring your bags there. <laughs> and learn with um, my... It's still very popular though. Well, I am very pleased to say, Hugo, I have... 46 followers. Amazing. Amazing. I know. Amazing. I well, know. 
How many did you have by the end, or could you not sort of see the analytics? Uh, yeah, I see the analytics by by the end of what uh, of my of, of, of like your original podcast, which the, went for what a hundred. 20 episodes, I mean, it was amazing. It was 120 episodes before podcast became huge, to tell you the truth. Uh, but yeah, I. Yeah, you were before Desert Islandists, before podcasts. Before podcasts, totally, totally. I, I'm just not, I'm not good in monetizing or, or taking things to the next level. That's why I'm not good in TikTok, Instagram, because that's why I'm a, let's say, I'm a, a failed idealista, which. Uh, <laughs> I can't like, I don't have I, the business I, part. I disagree completely. I, I, I think we were having a conversation before that over 40 to be pushing your Instagram is in very inelegant. Very inelegant, um, yeah. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> I have a, a very good friend who you probably remember called Limo, very tall ginger Englishman. Um, and he, um, he, he, he and I text each other statements about our fifth decade. He loves to say, as I enter my fifth decade, um, <laughs> and then give a sort of slightly ridiculous piece of advice. But we, we love to text each other. And, and his the other day to me was that a man over 40 should do yoga, but not be good at it. <laughs> right, that's fair. <laughs> fair enough. That's a good one. That's I, absolutely I... right. And I think, and I think a, a musical genius like yourself, and I, I'm not going to even try and guess your age. I think you're a bit younger than me, but um, is, you know, should have Instagram, but not be good at it. <laughs> oh, thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Exactly. Exactly. But actually, I out of my 46 followers, by the way, I've got uh, two people who wrote me, uh, which I was super excited about, of course. Uh, and they asked me to do uh, a playlist of the songs that you put in the podcast, you know. And uh, first, and first, I was like being kind of thinking about it, being a bit jealous. Like, yeah, but if then they listen to the playlist of the songs, then they're not going to listen to my podcast anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> but then again, it's it's a playlist of the song I already put uh, I already put in the podcast. So I did it. I did it. I did this playlist. Yeah for the two people who asked me out of the 46 people. So I'm definitely that 2% or I'm so shit in math, it's probably not 2%. Uh, it's, uh, it's under my name in Spotify, Sheila uh, 84 uh, S-E-I-L-L-A 84. Um, the playlist is called uh, uh, Podcast Songs. And there's the playlist, you guys. I, I, I made you... Amazing. Yeah. I, I want to keep them happy in all my 46 followers, you know, tomorrow. No, whatever. I think, I think, you know, it's only going to grow from here. Um, <laughs> do, do you have, um, do you, but you must have had a lot of people on the, on the original one. Uh, yeah, I had um, some, uh, yeah, for me a lot, at least I had, uh, like each episode, I had 200 people listening to it. It's a lot, huh? I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not. I mean, I've no yeah, for me, it was a lot. Uh, it was it was amazing. I already I always imagine a room with 200 people in it, you know. Yeah, it's a lot. of. It's a lot of people. I used to love them. It was yeah. when I had my studio in an old pub in Brixton <laughs> and it was so grim, that studio. It was so cold and I would sort of be so excited when a new podcast would come on and it would sort of take me through the day. Um, no, I thank I, you. It's funny, you get sort of linked. I'm not very good at Maria. My wife is really good at, at sort of, you know, she 
she's always got the newest thing to listen to and she's brilliant and for some reason i i sort of can't get my head around you know it has to be something it usually has to be someone i know actually and sort of you know for me to sort of yeah kind of, you know re refresh all the stuff and keep it coming and whatever um anyway but so, so here we come yeah. to our last song so this song, in a way, we've had some quite heavy songs. We've had some evocative songs. And this song I adore is um, it's by the Jerry Garcia Band. Ah, oh, there you are. Um, it's by the Jerry Garcia Band. And, and Jerry Garcia was the lead singer and, and, and guitarist of the Grateful Dead, which is a band which I adore, um, which have this sort of insane following, still have this insane following. And I lived with a, a deadhead, which is what they're called in, in Italy. And when you someone really is a deadhead, they do not listen to anything else. I mean, really, almost nothing else. And it's it's the whole thing about the Grateful Dead was they started in like 1962, and 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 I think I mean they still kind of play a bit, but but a lot of them don't. And, and Jerry Garcia is dead, and but they people would just travel all over the country of America following them, and they would make the Grateful Dead would allow people to make recordings, and so you have. And because they were a kind of jam band, what I mean by that is they the songs were never structured the same and they were genius musicians. And so you can have, you know, an infinite an amount of the same song recorded because they allowed people to record all the concerts. So, you know, people get obsessed about like the Cornell 72 version of Scarlet Begonias being far better than the yeah. Fillmore East one of 76. And like, it's a real geek off. Um, and I, I I love it as well. And there are various, you know, and I think once it got under my skin while living with this guy and, and, and in a way, the Grateful Dead will probably always be on in some shape or form on any list I'll have. Um, but um, this, because Jerry Garcia was probably, well, he was an addict and he was, you know, he was a very kind of um, rather bleak and and sad figure in a way but he was just a genius musician and whenever the band would stop he wouldn't know what to do with himself so he would he would have his own band between tours <laughs> and he would just keep playing because he didn't really know what else to do and this is um his version of after midnight which is one of my favorite songs on earth and eric clapton did a brilliant version of it and but it's just this one is about 10 minutes long. And I, I think I, I told you this before, maybe on our first podcast, but I used to DJ in Florence when I lived there. <laughs> and it was um, it was how I paid for my rent. I would DJ every night, every Saturday night. What a treat from, for literally from a, for the people. I mean, <laughs> with you, I mean, I'll really. you. I'll sweet you. I loved it. Um, and, and I would DJ from 11 in the evening till sort of six in the morning. And the owner, very nice man called Valentino, would give me 10% of the bar. Wow. And sort of it was my, it was up to me. I mean, I also drunk about 10% of the bar. I mean, <laughs> just madness. And I would have this DJ booth in the corner like this. And it would be funny because all the sort of nice, nice young ladies I was studying art with would sort of turn up and then the drunk men. And then by five in the morning, they were like... <laughs> fucking goths and junkies <laughs> and like it was just madness and i sort of loved it and well, i loved all of it but the trouble with i just remember there was one guy who turned up once with piercings in his head and like a kind of a kind of metal frame bolted <laughs> to himself and i'm like what the, I'm, I'm 20 years old what the fuck is this now you know what I mean? like, um and 
Um, but I had to have, because the DJ booth was sort of pushed into a corner between the crowd and the loo, I had to have very long songs if I needed to go to the loo. Of course. Uh, and this was the peace song? I also have yeah. a peace song. I also have yeah, this one. this is my One of my peace songs. That's a brilliant. Oh, my God. I also have the peace song. Okay, cool. I think every... Every proper DJ has a piece song. Yeah, and, and, um, and funnily enough, it's all songs that we really, really love, even if it's like the piece song where you go pee, but we really, really love, because you know it's going to be a success even if you go pee. Spot on. And also, it's a bit like your favorite pair of socks. Exactly. You can't be insulting to it, because you know it's a pee song. You have to give it a prime position. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Well, I mean, Hugo, with this one, what can I say? Will you will you do us the honor to come back uh, like once a month or something? There's nothing I'd rather do. Oh my God, this is the best news, Hugo. I'm so I'm I don't know I'm so flat I'm so flattered I'm so happy we have this again. I have heaven to see you and i love the fact that i misread your t-shirt which says honey on it and not with an r in it. I mean, I just, honestly when i saw you i was just like really uh, honey <laughs> not horny my, my, honey well exactly honey. my um, my uh, dyslexia or inability to read or whatever I, i it for some reason it always does that it always does something inappropriate and i i, I see it and i'm like she has a t-shirt saying horny on it which is No, no, thank God it's 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 honey, honey. Oh no, it's, I was about honey. to say horny. Anyways. Yeah, well. Uh anyways, well. um ladies and gentlemen, this was Hugo Wilson and we even have a little folk. Hugo Wilson and thank you so much. Here introduce you to our last great masterpiece and peace song, but we don't want to remind it with peace song. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. You introduced the last song, Hugo, please. Um, the Jerry Garcia band, After Midnight. And I think there's a lady called Donna in it, who was always um, a, a point of big contention in, in, Jerry, in uh, Grateful Dead fans, because she was a bit like the sort of Yoko Ono at one point in the band. But personally, I think Donna adds a lot in this. Um, um. I could even get hate mail from one of the 46 for this. <laughs> Tell me if you do. That means we're famous, Hugo, even more. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you, and I will definitely see you next week. Huge kiss, Hugo. Thank you. Lots of love. Suspicion.
Oh, 